Psalm 114. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hill like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back? O mountains, that you skip like rams? O hills, like lambs? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. Well, good evening, everyone. It's very good to see you all, um, and uh, great to have you with us this evening. If, if we haven't met before, my name's Johnny. I'm the pastor and part of the leadership team here. Uh, and if you are a bit newer around Hebron, please do come and say hello uh, after the more structured part of our time together is finished. I'd love to, to meet you and get to know you. Um, now, we are going to spend, as, as Matt has um, mentioned, going to spend the next few minutes thinking about Psalm 114 together. If you have a Bible, it would be helpful uh, to me, and I trust to you to have that open uh, over the course of the next few minutes, just to make sure that what I'm saying is what the Psalm is saying. That's a very, very important year, a very important principle um, for us as a church family. Um, but before we think about it together, I'm just going to pray uh, and ask for God's help. Another important principle is that we need the Holy Spirit uh, to help us as we think about his word. So let's pray together. Our God and Father, we thank you for the chance to gather together this evening, this resurrect, uh, Resurrection Sunday evening. And we ask that as we study your word together, that it would please be sweet to us. And that having heard you speak, we would each be changed Changed to love you more, to rely on you more, depend on you and your grace more, and to trust you more. And changed to be more and more like you. We ask these things for our joy and for your glory, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, if you've been around Hebron at all over the past few weeks and months, you might have picked up on one of the themes we've thought about quite a lot as a church family, which is heaven and the new creation. As I mentioned that, that might strike you as a surprise. If you have been here, we haven't spoken about it as explicitly as that, but it's kind of been baked into really everything we've been thinking about over the past few months. We've thought about it in Mark's account of Jesus' life, as we've seen little glimpses of the world that is to come in Jesus' miracles. That is, in one sense, what those miracles are, a little snapshot, a window into heaven and the new creation, a wonderful place where there will be no more sickness, no more evil, no more death. We thought about it too at the end of last year in our studies in a group of Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent on Sunday evenings. The Psalms of Ascent are a group of Psalms that identify those of us who are Christians as being pilgrims that we are all travellers on a journey towards an ultimate home, a new Jerusalem. And we even touched on it a bit this morning, if you were here. Again, it was implicit, but it definitely was there. Heaven and the new creation being the ultimate destination for God's people, where we will live with our God in a restored relationship for all eternity. 
Heaven and the new creation has been a big theme for us as a church family over the past uh, few months, uh, whether we've recognized it or not. Uh, But if you have recognized it, I wonder with it rumbling around your mind over the past little while, whether you've ever asked yourself the question, will I actually get there? Will I make it to, to heaven and the new creation that the Bible speaks about? Because we might sometimes be tempted to doubt that we will, even if you're a Christian. Perhaps as you reflect on that question, you're reminded of your own patchy record as a Christian. Periods of of being relatively faithful in following Jesus, but others where the battles in your life seem to be losing ones. And so as I even mentioned, the new creation, it might sound wonderful to you, I hope it does, but I also wonder if it sounds like a bit of a remote possibility for someone like you, that your faithfulness to God, or or lack thereof rather, is a bit of a disqualifier. Or perhaps uh, your concern hasn't quite been so much with your lifestyle, but it's at the prospect of your perseverance. The question of whether you'll keep going in following Jesus faithfully all the way to the end. I was chatting with an older Christian a few months ago. He'd been a Christian for well over 90 years. And I asked him how I could be praying for him. And in response, he asked me to pray that he would remain faithful to God all the way to the end. And that answer surprised me, if I'm honest. Because he'd been so faithful in following Jesus for such a long period of time. But he explained that life in recent years had been hard. And the discouragements he'd faced had at times turned to doubt. And so he wanted me to pray that he would please just stay the course all the way to the end. And perhaps you can empathize with that kind of anxiety that that tries you might... Well, that you won't stay the course as a Christian. Will you get to heaven and the new creation comes the question? Well, you might well answer, I hope so. On my better days, I think I might. But I'm not really sure, if I'm honest. Well, if that is you, if you are a Christian who sometimes feels a bit shaky about where your ultimate future lies, then I hope... And my purpose in choosing Psalm 114 is just this, that it will be of real help to you. Because one of the big outboxes of Psalm 114 is confidence. Confidence not in ourselves, but confidence in God. And particularly confidence in the fact that the God of the Bible is mighty to save his people and that he will be mighty enough to take them safely home. And uh, as a bit of a spoiler, and uh, perhaps an explanation as to why we're thinking about any of that on an evening like this one, on Easter Sunday evening, well, the clearest evidences we have of God's power to save his people are the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
That's where we're going to be heading together this evening. Let's think about that psalm a bit. Next slide, please, Samuel. Thank you. Under our first heading, remember that the Lord was mighty in saving his people. Now, if I could encourage you just to follow along with me as I walk our way through the psalm, right out of the gate in verse 1, we're given a bit of a steer as to the context of the psalm. Verse 1. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language. Now we're immediately dropped in to the book of Exodus. Exodus is a a point in particular in Exodus where God's people had been held as slaves by Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at the time. And they'd been held there until God rescued them. And says the psalmist, God rescued them for a reason. Verse 2, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. Now for clarity, the words Judah and Israel are being used interchangeably there to speak about God's people. And the point being made is that God didn't just rescue them. He didn't just bring them out of slavery, as, as big a deal as that would be in itself. Well, he brought them out in order to live with them. And when you take just a moment to think on that, it is remarkable. We're talking about the God who is high above the nations, whose glory is above the heavens, and yet where do we find him in Psalm 114? Well, living with former slaves, with his faltering and needy people. It is remarkable. But as remarkable as it is, the psalmist's focus in this psalm isn't quite so much on the fact that God rescued his people. Rather, it's on how he rescued his people. Just look on with me to verse 3. The sea looked and fled. Jordan turned back. What's going on there? Well, I wonder if you're someone who would be quite into or keep up with superhero movies. There uh, do seem to have been uh, a number of million of them released in recent years, haven't there? I've actually lost where I am uh, in keeping up with some of the the, the franchises, not least because a lot of the films seem to be fairly similar to one another. Uh, But there is one kind of humorous scene that that seems to appear in, in quite a lot of them, whether the new ones or the much older ones. An ordinary ordinary member of the public ends up having a standoff with a group of bad guys. And uh, the average Joe might put their fists up to show that they're being brave and that they're ready to fight. And the bad guys, who are clearly much stronger than that average Joe, they start to look a bit frightened. And eventually they, 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 they turn and they run away. And that average Joe, that average member of the public, looks really pleased with themselves with how threatening they must have looked to those bad guys until they themselves turn around and notice that standing behind them was Superman or Spider-Man or Batman or insert any superhero here, man or woman for that matter. The bad guys weren't scared of them at all, but of the superhero standing behind them. And the psalmist pictures something similar in verse 3. Now remember that in the book of Exodus, after Pharaoh had initially let God's people go, he'd released them from slavery, he changed his mind and he sent his army to hunt them down. 
And so as God's people arrived at the edge of the sea, they were stuck between the Egyptian army behind them and the deep blue sea in front of them, or rather the deep red sea, to be more accurate, in front of them. And God's people were weak and were puny and were completely helpless to save themselves. And so in the book of Exodus, in Exodus 14, we're told that they cried out to their leader, to Moses, to do something to help them. And so Moses stretched his staff out over the water of the Red Sea, and miraculously the sea split in two. And a strong east wind held the water back all night so that people could cross. That's the story as it's told in the book of Exodus. And yet we're given a different angle on those events in Psalm 114, aren't we? No mention of Moses, or of his staff, or of a strong east wind. Verse 3, the picture is of the sea catching sight of God. Like a bad guy in a Marvel movie seeing that a superhero has arrived on the scene. And the sea itself is as if it tucks tail and runs away. It's an extraordinary picture, isn't it? And the psalmist wants us to see that the miracles didn't end there. Because after getting through the Red Sea, God's people wandered in the desert for 40 years. And eventually, right as they were at the cusp of entering the promised land, the place of of safety and of prosperity, well, again, their way was blocked. A great river, the Jordan River, separated them from the land flowing with milk and honey. And yet again, we read in the book of Joshua that the the, the water of the Jordan River was split in two so that the people might get through. And yet again, the psalmist in Psalm 114 gives us another angle on exactly how that happened. Verse 3, the river turned back in terror from before the God who made it. Can you see those two different angles on the story of God's people? Firstly, God's awesome and terrifying power in splitting the sea in two. And secondly, his awesome and terrifying power in stopping the Jordan dead. All in order to get his people out of slavery and to get them into the promised land. To the land, verse 4, where the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. Now, some commentators think that verse 4 is uh, describing God appearing to his people on Mount Sinai, where the mountain quaked and the earth trembled. Uh, But let me just ask you uh, to, to, to think for a moment. If you were trying to convey a picture of sheer and terrifying and awesome power, would you choose the image of skipping lambs? Probably not. What's being pictured in verse 4 is sheer joy unadulterated joy at the wonderful rescue that God had achieved for his people. It was so joyous that even the land itself joined in the dancing. Now, I hope you're able to see quite how vivid and how powerful all of that imagery is. But it conveys an important point. And the point is this. The God of the Bible is strong. He is mighty extraordinarily powerful and yet he uses that power in order to save his people the God of the Bible uses his extraordinary power to save his ordinary looking people 
Now, what does any of that mean for us? Well, to answer that, it helps to pinpoint where we are in Psalm 114. That might sound like an odd thing to say. I don't know about you. I've never literally stood at the edge of the Red Sea or the Jordan River. I've climbed up a few hills in my time. Not once has any of them skipped in front of me. And yet, for those of us who are Christians, well, the story of God's people in the Exodus does mirror our story. Because just like them, God has powerfully rescued Christians from slavery. Not slavery to a foreign power like Egypt, but slavery, the Bible tells us, to sin or to a life lived in open rebellion against God. And not only that, just like the Israelites, God has made a way for us to cross the Jordan. What do I mean by that? Well, some of you might be familiar with the hymn, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. A lot of us will be more familiar with hearing it ringing out in the Millennium Stadium, being sung by Welsh rugby fans than in a church. But the third verse of Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah says this. When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction land me safe on Canaan's side. Now the writer of the song isn't speaking about a literal Middle East, the actual Jordan River. He's using the Jordan as a picture of one last obstacle separating God's people from the promised land, from heaven and the new creation that awaits anyone who's trusted in Jesus. And that obstacle is death. And the point in the song is that God has made it possible for people to pass through that obstacle, through death itself, to get to that promised land, to heaven and the new creation. All of which is to say we are able to look at the Exodus story and say that's kind of like my story as one of God's people now. And yet there is an important difference. The difference is that for us to appreciate God's powerful rescue of us, we don't need to look to God's might in splitting the sea, to his miraculous power in holding back a river. No, we look, not least on Easter Sunday, to his miraculous power at the cross of Jesus Christ. As the sun disappeared and the sky blackened in the middle of the day, as the ground shook and the curtain temple tore in two. And most supremely, as Jesus Christ, who was dead and buried, as we saw this morning on Good Friday, was raised again to life on Resurrection Sunday. The God of the Bible is mighty. He is powerful beyond measure. And listen, he has used that power, that might, To rescue his weak and failing people. People like you and me. And all that means that if you're a Christian, that in your moments of doubt, doubt that you really will make it to the new creation because perhaps your your sin feels too great. Perhaps because death itself feels like too huge and terrifying an enemy. Well, we need only remember God's extraordinary exercise of power in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus to know that he is mighty to save. 
And that does go some way towards answering the question we began with, doesn't it? Will you be in heaven and the new creation? For those of us who are believers in Jesus, we can have confidence that we will be. Not because we're not as bad as we think we are. Not because death isn't as big a deal as we make it out to be. But because our God was mighty enough to save us from slavery. To fully deal with the punishment due for our sin. Because our God was mighty enough to defeat death at the cross. To make it possible for us to pass through death into that new creation if we'll trust in him. Or in other words, will I make it to heaven and the new creation? You might ask yourself, yes, I will. You can answer if you're a Christian. Why? Because of Easter. Our God is mighty to save. Mighty enough to save such as you and me. So take heart. But that uh, might address some of our fears and anxieties about this issue. It might not address all of them, because think back for a moment to that old saint I spoke with a few months ago who was fearful, fearful not about the rescue that, that, that has been won for him from slavery to sin, nor was he even anxious about crossing the Jordan River that lies before him, about, about getting through death. His fear was about whether he'd be able to keep going until he got there. Will I be faithful all the way to the end? And you might feel similarly. Will I? Can I keep going? Do I have the spiritual legs to get me there? Because oftentimes we can feel like we don't, can we? Well, more briefly than the first half, the second half of Psalm 114 addresses that issue. And to help us to see that, I wonder if you notice the change in tense during the course of the psalm. Just scan through it for a moment with me. Notice that in verses 1 to 4, they're all written in the past tense. They're all about what has already happened. But then in the final four verses, the tense changes. Verse 5, what ails you, O sea? Verse 7, tremble, O earth. It's all written in the present tense, isn't it? And that's because the psalmist doesn't just recollect what God has done for his people in the past. He also reflects on what he is doing and looks forward to what he will do. And we'll see that briefly in our second point. The Lord will be mighty in getting his people home, verses 5 to 8. Now, verses 5 and 6 might seem as though they're going over old ground again. Verse 5, what ails you, O sea, that you flee, O Jordan, that you turn back, O mountains, that you skip like rams, O hills like lambs. They're almost a repeat of what we've just heard in verses 3 and 4, aren't they? Almost, but not quite. Because notice, they turn those same situations, the, the, the fleeing of the sea and the turning back of the Jordan, turn them from memories and recollections into grounds for present confidence. Just think of that often repeated scene in the superhero movie. After the baddies have run away, the average Joe often ends up goading the baddies in the movie, doesn't he? What's the matter? Why are you running away? What are you so scared of? Well, the psalmist does something similar to the river and to the sea in verses 5 and 6. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back? What are you so frightened of? 
And the answer comes in verses 7 and 8. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. Now, verse 8 might sound like a wee bit of an anticlimax after the the, the splitting of the sea and the, the stopping of the Jordan. We end with, well, a rock being turned into a puddle. But it's a bigger deal than it might look. Because on two occasions during Israel's 40 years wandering in the wilderness, God miraculously brought water out of a rock. So in Exodus 17, Moses struck a rock with his staff and water flowed out of it. And again in Numbers chapter 20, Moses struck a rock with his staff and water flowed out of it. What do those situations have to do with Psalm 114, you might ask? Well, both times, God did that. He brought water out of a rock for a purpose. The reason was to provide for his people on their journey to the promised land. To give them something to drink. Because it's all well and good knowing that there's a land flowing with milk and honey lying ahead of you. But that's zero use to you if you don't actually make it there. And so the psalmist is again conveying the power of the Lord. The one who causes the earth, verse 7, to tremble at his very presence. But again, more than that, he's saying that that might, that power is used to provide for his people on their way to the promised land. God gives his people all they need to make it safely to the end. He sustains them on the journey. And again, that should give us confidence. Especially if you're anxious that you might not make it to the end as a faithful Christian. Psalm 114 says that the God of wonders, the God of extraordinary power, will provide his people all they need to get them safely home. Now what might that look like for us? Well it might look miraculous. It might look akin to water coming from a rock. But listen. God is no less powerful or mighty. When he prompts a brother or sister in the Lord. To offer you a word of encouragement. At just the right time. To keep you going. Or to, to give you the nudge after a service. And say listen I've been praying for you this week. God is no less powerful or mighty when he prompts you by his Holy Spirit to keep fighting with the sin that would otherwise entangle you and take you down. Or when the Holy Spirit prompts you just to put one foot in front of the other to keep doing the simple things as a Christian, to keep reading your Bible and praying even when it's hard. See, the point is that the powerful and miracle-working God of the Bible is committed to rescuing his people And to getting them safely home. So as we close, let me just say that if you don't know that any of that is true of you at all, if you haven't yet trusted in this rescuing God, why don't you do that today? Because he offers this kind of help, a Psalm 114 kind of help, not to a special few, but to anyone who would ask. If you've got questions or you'd like to explore that further, please grab me after the service. I would very much like to speak with you. And let me also just say, if you do know this, at least notionally to be true for you as a Christian, well, let me encourage you to take confidence 
and assurance in Psalm 114 and the God of Psalm 114. To take confidence in his rescue of you, that you can look back to that miraculous work he's done in your life as a Christian. And to ask him for his ongoing help to keep you going on the journey. You can have confidence not because you're strong in yourself, not because you have the legs in and of yourself, but because you follow a God who is extraordinarily powerful, who has evidenced it at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He can be trusted, and so trust yourself into his hands tonight. Let's do that together now. Our God and Father, we thank you for the wonderful truths of Psalm 114. For the reminder that you are a rescuing God. We thank you that you have done that in your might and in your power. That as you rescued your people during the exodus, as you rescued them into the promised land, so too we can have confidence that you will rescue those of us who trust in you into an eternity with you. Would you please give us confidence in your care and in your provision for us, even when circumstances might make us doubt it and even when our own track record might make us doubt it. And we ask that as well as growing our confidence in you, you would please too grow our love for and praise of you as we think on that over the coming days and years, all the way to journey's end. We ask all of these things in the name of our Saviour, the resurrected, the reigning, the ruling Jesus Christ, and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Well, the, the more formal part of our time together this evening is, is nearly at an end. Please do stay and chat after the service, chat with one another and, and greet each other. Please do come and say hello to me if we've never met before. Um, and uh, before we reach that point, though, we're going to sing one final song expressing thanks to and confidence in the God of Psalm 114. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. <laughs>